Good morning. Welcome to Money Management. I'm Mike Mayo with the Spokane Office of the Opus 111 Group, and we're here to talk with you as we do most Saturdays. Sorry we weren't here last week. We were on the road. Uh, but in any case, most Saturdays at 9 Pacific to talk with you about the markets and the economy. And I think this week was, uh, well, net-net, it really didn't do all that much as far as the market was concerned. We did have a lot of balls in the air. So hopefully we'll give you some insights into what was going on and uh, help you feel better about <laughs> the the bombarding headlines you've been having to deal with recently. So, let's do the data dump right now. The market, excuse me, not right now. Yesterday, the Dow closed at 30,932. That was down 469. Um, the S&P at 3811 was a little higher. The Nasdaq was up at 13,192. Uh, the uh, gold price was at seventeen twenty six an ounce. Silver at twenty six fifty six. Crude a little lower uh, at sixty one fifty a barrel. And the ten year treasuries uh, was bid last at one point four zero percent. Now, the major U.S. stock indices, including, uh, have set thirty two record highs so far this year, and that includes uh, Thursday's. I know it's a long way ago, but we were up 424 on Thursday and down 469 on Friday. Like I said, there wasn't a lot going on once the, the smoke all clears. But uh, here, here's kind of some of the underlying that's been going on out there. Anheuser-Busch, uh, some of you may be familiar with their products. Um, they did uh, come out with earnings, and they forecast higher earnings this year. But they said their profit margins would be hurt by higher commodity costs and so the traders beat their shares up and it the stock was down a bunch as a result of that even though their earnings were good now excuse me home depot dropped two percent uh, in pre-market trading because the traders don't think that their their uh, how would i say results will continue and that's true with a lot of these uh, what we call stay-at-home stocks you know the companies that have benefited from uh, folks being locked up uh, this last year, uh, it's going to be hard for them, at least that's the thought, for them to be able to continue their earnings growth. So again, that stock got beat up. And then uh, you know, tech stocks continued to fall in the face of somewhat higher interest rates and a rotation into the stocks that are more directly linked to the economic comeback. Uh, a Wedbush analyst named Dan Ives says that Tesla... Their price is now directly linked to the price of Bitcoin. So <laughs> trying to come up with a value for their stock became even more confusing. Now, one other thing, the Russell 2000, those are the, that's the index that measures the uh, small cap companies. It's up 15% this year. And uh, that's more than the S&P by the widest margin in 20 years. So uh, it kind of gives you an idea as to the rotation that's going on back there. And gold dropped Friday and was headed for its second straight monthly decline. Rocks are not the place you want to be in today's marketplace. So, uh, let me uh, get off on the uh, economic uh, reports we had. Generally speaking, the year's off to a pretty good start. Retail sales up 5.3% in January, up 7.4% from a year ago, and that's pre-virus. So, all major categories of sales were up in January. And, of course, that reflects the stimulus spending and less onerous lockdowns. I don't know if that's possible, but less onerous lockdowns of business. 
Industrial production now up nine months in a row. Uh, much of the spending is for next year and beyond because it's, uh, you know, for big projects and things. But what's really happening today is that we're kind of overstimulating the economy. And while this is great for earnings and stock markets in the near term, it does have some long-term risks. Now, durable goods orders, that's stuff that's meant to last three years or more. That also started uh, New Year on a good note, up for the ninth consecutive month, up 6.3% for the year ago. Uh, initial claims for unemployment continue to drop. We, uh, last week's was the lowest level since last November. Hopefully that trend will continue. U.S. household income up 10% in January as the stimulus payments came into households. Uh, consumer spending up, uh, priming the economy, I believe, for a some growth here later this year. And that increase in income was the second largest on record, according to the Commerce Department. And we've got another, <laughs> yet another stimulus bill uh, attempting to wind its way through the le legislative process. You know, I think at this point, it's kind of like using a credit card to push your spending above your current income level. But I'm not in D.C. They don't talk to me. Um, energy. Doing real well, up about 6.5% this week. Definitely the biggest winner by far. Expectations are that consumers around the world are going to be soon driving and flying as they were much before the lockdowns. And let's see. Oh, yeah, real estate. You all remember real estate. <laughs> homes, single-family homes rose three, the sales, excuse me of single-family homes rose 4.3% in January. They're up 19.3% from a year ago. Now, mortgage rates uh, started rising in concert with the uh, interest rates, of course, and they're at their highest level since last November. So some are saying, well, gee, I can't buy a house now. Um, <laughs> let's look at it this way. Uh, rates are not likely to go down from here. So if you're contemplating a home purchase... Uh, I would say carp the diem, seize the day, because uh, the rates aren't going to be going any lower. And uh, anyway, that's that's the insight I would offer to you. And December is usually the slowest month for the housing market, but they didn't. The price gains didn't slow down in uh, last year in in December. They rose at the fastest rate in seven years. And again, uh, Case Shiller Home Price Index. They say that home prices nationally rose 10.4% compared to the year before. Strongest annual growth rate since 2013. Highest annual uh, rate of price growth since uh, January 2014. And one of the largest annual gains in the more than 30-year history of the index. And Phoenix, Seattle, San Diego, those are the big three in terms of at the uh, head of the price appreciation. So... Like I said, you can't control that because of the supply-demand issues with houses. But that uh, mortgage rate, um, don't let the relatively higher rates slow you down if you can afford to do so. Now I want to get into some things that uh, I guess I've been uh, asked a lot lately by lots of different folks in different circumstances. I want to talk about uh, some of this stuff that's going on about inflation. Is that something we need to worry about? Uh, interest rates, what's the story there? Are we in a bubble? You know, uh, that seems to be the magic word lately. Uh, you know, everything's a bubble. 
And then we'll also be having some, as we get further into the broadcast, uh, words from many analysts and pundits about where they think the market's going, and then some concluding thoughts to hopefully wrap it all up. Now, I guess we should start with the rates. Okay. So this last week, Mr. Powell, Jerome Powell, he's chairman of the Federal Reserve, he was hanging out in front of uh, Congress. He, uh, he Every year, they, he, well, the Fed Reserve chair has to make a presentation one day to the Senate and the other day to the House uh, about things relative to the Fed. And so he did relieve some of the concerns about higher rates and inflation earlier this week. He said, inflation and employment remain well below the Fed's goals, meaning easy monetary policy is likely to stay in place. Now, easy monetary policy is code for low interest rates. So despite a sharp rise in this rates, excuse me, this year in bond rates that's accompanied the increased concern over inflation, Mr. Powell said price pressures remain mostly muted and the economic outlook is still, quote unquote, highly uncertain. And he has another quote uh, from when he was testifying in front of the Senate Finance Committee. He said, the economy is a long way from our e- employment and inflation goals and is likely to take some time for substantial further progress to be achieved. He noted that the lockdowns have also left a significant imprint on inflation and on balance. It is not a threat to the economy. That's what he said. Now, in front of the House, uh, the Financial Services Committee he added that inflation could be volatile as the economy reopens and is there's increased demand. And I'd say, yeah, that's probably true. But he doesn't expect inflation to run hot and says the central bank has the tools to fight it if it should. And the Fed has adopted an approach uh, in which it will allow inflation to average above 2% for a period of time before moving to tighten policy. Talking about... Uh, the world of interest rates right now, and we're going to be talking uh, more about inflation and uh, bubbles and uh, like that. So uh, please hang on. So right now, I want to uh, just going back a bit before the break, talking about uh, Mr. Powell's testimony before the uh, Congress this week. And he said he was saying that the Fed's adopted an approach that will allow inflation to average above 2%, and it's not 2% now, but it will average above 2% for a period of time before moving to tighten the policy. He said this change means we will not tighten policy solely in response to a strong labor market. Now, this week, the sell-off in uh, U.S. Treasuries uh, intensified it, brought forward expectations for rate hikes to er- as early as mid-2023. Now, forgive me, but that's two years from now. And if you <laughs> look at what the, uh, the traders were doing in response to something that may happen in 2023, well, it kind of gives you the impression that logic isn't necessarily part of the equation in terms of what they're doing. But that depends on your perspective. You see, traders are very short-term folks. They're not here to determine fundamentals or look at the... Uh, How is the market share of this, that, or the other company? They don't care about that. What they look at is, it was this price. If it gets to that price, I'm selling it. If it gets to that price, I'm buying it. It's all numbers. It's all computers. It's called algorithms, which are mathematical formulas that they put into the computer, and it just happens by magic. Well, you know, I mean, they got to push the button. But that's it. So you can't really 
in my opinion, you can't really decide, make it valid investment judgments based on what's happening to the market day to day because all it reflects is what the traders are doing that day. It's like the weather. You know, you remember there was a little snow a couple of weeks ago. Right now, um, there's not so much snow. So it changes. Now, get rid of the weather report. Um, you know, many, uh, many Wall Street people believe that the jump in bond yields basically reflects a sign of growing confidence in the economic recovery. And so stocks should be able to absorb higher rates amid strong earnings. I'm here to tell you that uh, I've been doing this a long time and we've seen interest rates significantly higher and still see the market appreciate. It's just that We've been in this no interest rate zone for so long that folks have, I think, in a way, kind of presumed that's normal. It's not normal, and it's not usual. And so that's why there's a, all this hissy fitting going on in New York with the traders, and, well, I guess elsewhere too, uh, because it's uncertain. They've never been, well, they haven't been here for some time, or in some cases have never been here, and so... They don't know how to operate in high interest or higher inflation rate environments. And so uncertainty leads to a lot of, how many say, rapid judgment, the rapid movements that aren't necessarily um, in keeping with what those of us who are investors would think is sensible. So, uh, you know, the yield on the 10 year treasury, which is deemed to be the most important security in, in the world, uh, simply because so many rates are based against that. Well, it moved on Thursday, it moved up to 1.45%. And uh, that was its highest since February last year. And the 30 year moved up to 2.31%. And yesterday, the 10 year was at 1.4 and the uh, 30 year at 2.21. So they both backed up a little bit. And the Fed's going to uh, maintain these ultra low rates and continue th their hefty asset purchases until, and again, I'm quoting Mr. Powell, substantial further progress has been made toward its employment and inflation goals. And he did give the green light for yields to go up, according to Michael Schumacher, director of rates at Wells Fargo. He said, <coughs> excuse me, rising yields were the result of the strength in the economy. Uh, Mr. Schumacher added that the bond market was catching up to the optimism already seen in the stock market as stocks traded to new highs. He went on to say, we, we are getting no hint from the Fed that it wants to dampen this down. The Fed will have to come out and actually say something. Now, a gentleman named Jim, Jim Karen, who is head of Global Macro Rate Strategy, now, that's a pretty hefty title. I don't know if that all fits on one business card. But anyway, head of global macro weight strategy at Morgan Stanley, he said it's the speed of the rise in the rates that's unnerved the market since the consensus view among uh, analysts was that the 10-year wouldn't reach 1.5% until year-end. Well, surprise, surprise. He wrote, and I'm quoting, so far this sharp move higher in the 10-year yields has had only marginal impact on stocks. In addition, the U.S. dollar has not strengthened on this move in yields either, all of which are components of financial conditions that are still easy, not tight, despite the rise in U.S. Treasury yields, unquote. Now, higher yields on bonds make riskier stocks less attractive to buy, and the higher rates reflect strengthening inflation and economic demand. 
This is the premise against which most of the traders that are out there are having trouble dealing with because they're not used to it, that it has not been that way for 10 years or so. Um, so, you know, the, the rising yields often do accompany expectations for higher earnings. But this, uh, what they th they're calling, they the traders are calling a sudden pop in rates, is weighing on the valuations, and it's most noticeable for growth companies because they expect a relatively large share of their profits down the line. So higher interest rates erode the value of future cash flows. That's it in a nutshell. John Kerry, he's a portfolio manager at Monday Asset Management. He offered. Uh, and I'm quoting, the economy is already recovering, and a lot of people think this stimulus proposed is much more than what's needed. He goes on to say, you put too many coals on a fire, and we build the fire to a very intense level. People start to think the Fed won't be able to keep rates where they are. Well, uh, the, the Wall Street Journal uh, offered this. They say, with the prospect of recovery, bond investors have become less needful of the perceived safety of long-term treasuries, which also helps push rates higher. Um, you know, uh, let's see, Keith Lerner is chief market strategist at Truist. He said, we don't see the recent increase in yields as a threat to the bull market. Given that we're in the early stages of an economic recovery, monetary and fiscal policy remain supportive. The sharp rebound in earnings and favorable relative valuations, we maintain our overweight to stocks. All the current and planned money printing and extra spending will boost demand. And that's definitely a recipe for higher inflation. Inflation is an increase in the money supply, not linked to an increase in the economic production. So rising prices are one possible consequence of inflation, but not inflation itself. I think uh, a number of investors are afraid that... Uh, Despite the Fed's promises, there is a spike in prices, the result of the Fed stimulus that could force the Fed to, well, raise the short-term borrowing costs sooner than later. Brian O'Reilly, head of market strategy at, oh, I got to look at, Mediolanum Investment Funds, not one I'm familiar with, but nonetheless, Mr. O'Reilly has this to say, this really is a function of economies reopening. Bond yields are rising because of good vaccination rates, and it's prompting a simple rotation away from everything that did well last year, the stay-at-home stocks, to the ones that didn't, and he calls them the go-outside stocks. And I think there's a lot of merit to that. And it's the old uh, buy-the-thing-that's-out-of-favor kind of deal. You know, it's no longer, I don't believe, whether rates are going to go higher. It's just when is the move too big? That's what the market's trying to figure out. Because if the markets just go up incrementally uh, by in, in terms of interest rates, the market can absorb it and, you know, we just continue to go. We've never seen the current magnitude of money and fiscal quote-unquote stimulus unleashed on an economy that's already poised for a V-shaped recovery. So let's hope it's all just a case of monetary jitters and that'll be the end of it. Uh, let's see here. Okay. Well... Excuse me. We're going to be talking after the uh, break at the bottom of the hour. We'll be having some comments about inflation and, uh, you know, all this bubble talk. Uh, 
I wouldn't invest in any double bubble if I were you. And then the outlook and some conclusions. So and I've got some thoughts on this inflation stuff that's going on around us that uh, hopefully will help you get a better handle on what it might mean to you. Now, the, <laughs> the real easy way to define inflation is that everything costs more every year. And uh, a more, how would I say, academically oriented inflation definition is that it's an increase in the money supply that is not linked to an increase in economic predict, uh, excuse me, production. So rising prices are one possible consequence of inflation, but again, not inflation itself. Now, if what you mean by inflation is a big increase in the money supply, well, yay howdy, we got tons of it. The M2 measure of the money supply, which is basically all the loose cash floating around out there, has increased by 26% in just the last year. That's from the journal, the Wall Street Journal. So fear of inflation is causing folks to speculate that the Fed may have to shift policy sooner than expected, which would be a negative for stocks. Well, yeah, no. You know, it's... Uh, <laughs> There's a lot more to it than just simply interest rates go up a little bit, therefore it's bad for stocks. There is a point where the interest rates go up to where uh, investing in a bond may once again make sense because it sure doesn't now. But if you, where you could get, say, a 4% predictable return for five years, just as an example, uh, as opposed to you know, uh, taking uh, your chances in the stock market to get a better rate of return. Now, that's a very simplistic way to look at it. And if you're asset allocated and invested properly, you're going to have some of everything in there anyway. So uh, you're not trying to play you bet the market. So again, bond investors, they're getting worried about the potential for inflation. Mr. Powell says, stop worrying about it. So who's right? I guess it depends on who you ask and kind of what you're looking at but signs of consumer inflation have remained muted and again inflation at or below two percent for many years and again i go back to the most market participants i'm talking about professional types advisors traders although have never seen this kind of a market and so that's why you're seeing this kind of ooh, ooh, ooh. i don't know what's going on and so they <laughs> some of these headlines have been pretty nuts for example well, I was talking with a client in Chicago two days ago, and um, she said that there had been a, she was listening to a program, and there was a break, it was a news program, it was a break, and the, he was, what the guy was wondering where his reporter went, and, he said, and the reporter came back and said, oh, I've got some terrible news. He's like, what? He said, the Dow is down 500 points. Wait a minute. I mean, that's one one and a quarter percent. That's like you get you had a dollar, now you got ninety nine cents. Okay, shoot me now. That's terrible. So you got to keep this. That's why these people are there to distract you from what's important, intentionally or not. I don't know, but that's for another time. So anyhow, this time it appears that the rise in yields is coming from economic growth, stimulus, and infrastructure. All that's good for stocks. So a rise in commodity prices could be easily absorbed, and much of the rise could be just, again, a temporary re, uh, situation uh, which reflects our reopening. Hans Michelson, he's a credit strategist at Bank America. He says he's not so sure about this. He thinks the rise will be much stronger than anticipated and will therefore push up inflation. 
since the summer of last year, economists have consistently underestimated economic growth to an extent never seen before. I mean, they're still playing catch-up. Now, the key to the game may be whether or not Mr. Powell can stick with his guns. He's told us that he's comfortable with inflation. He's not going to react to these short-term movements, as we heard earlier. But there's another issue. Small shifts in yields in interest rates, such as we've just seen, could be causing tech investors to take profits, thinking this is as good as it gets. Because, again, most of their profits are out there in the future, and higher rates are not beneficial. One of the reasons you've seen a bunch of selling in the big-name stocks from last year. Um, a powerful economic rebound combined with the rising rates and higher inflation, if that happens, would change the investment backdrop in a meaningful way across across the board. Higher rates could also hit growth-oriented techs. And again, because they've always relied on easy borrowing. Um, now, since February 12th, 10th, excuse me, the 10-year treasuries, not inflation-adjusted, moved from 1.13 to as high as 1.61. Now, that's a rise of what they call 48 basis points. One basis point equals one hundredth of one percent. You say, jeepers, why is everybody getting all excited about not even one half of one percent jump in interest rates? Because the percentage jump from 113 to 161 is a whole lot more than what you would lead. And the point is, is that it's a trend. And if it is a trend, that changes how uh, the traders have been running their books for a long time. Peter Shear, he's from Academy Securities, he said the recent rise in the 10-year bond yields re represents a perception about inflation, but in his opinion, not necessarily the reality. The rise in 10-year bond yields doesn't reflect an actual rise in inflation, he said. It reflects that investors anticipate that there will be a rise in inflation. Now, I think he's got a point there because perceptions uh, do have a lot to do with the reality of the markets, regardless of what the actual data have to say. Now, Mr. Powell, once again, has been pushing back against that idea of over-the-top inflation coming. He said again in his testimony that uh, signs of inflation, broad signs of inflation, haven't been present in the real world, at least in the Federal Reserve real world. And if they do occur, any such rises would be transitory. See, because in the way they keep track of scores, the things that move a lot, like gasoline and food prices, they don't really include in um, the real-world computations of inflation because they flip around so much. So let so do we see real inflation in the real world? I say, yay, howdy. We do in commodities. Oil's approaching the highest since 2018. Copper's at almost a 10-year high. The economically sensitive commodities... Uh, in particular, have been running pretty hot. Uh, again, the price of crude up uh, almost 8%, uh, not to a level seen in a couple years. Uh, and then now on top of that, Goldman, Goldman Sachs has raised its oil price forecast. They're saying three factors should drive the oil prices higher. Low inventories, a slow return to prior production levels, and speculative inflows. They see uh, U.S. crude hitting $72 a barrel. It's about $60 a barrel yesterday uh, by the third quarter. The price of the U.S. crude had fallen uh, in April of last year, you know, when the world was ending, at least 
some people thought it was, I guess. Um, crude oil had fallen to 22.76 a barrel in April of last year because the virus was, well, it killed demand for oil. That's it in a nutshell. And uh, Thursday, it settled, crude did, U.S. crude, at 63.53 a barrel, uh, highest level again since January 20. Copper is a critical industrial raw material. It's used in everything. I mean, home goods, automobiles, big manufacturing, small manufacturing, and plus a lot of this green stuff that uh, is getting built. Uh, it's had a gain of 14% since the record, excuse me, second week in February. Some because the dollar is weakened, but also because since most commodities are, so, are priced in dollars, uh, their prices rise when the dollar falls relative to those foreign currencies. So, again, do we see inflation in the real world? We do in commodities. Begin with the oil price going up. Consumer inflation remains low. And, uh, again, these bond yields are not a necessarily a negative for stocks. There, excuse me, the rise in yields is coming from economic growth, stimulus, and infrastructure. As I said earlier, all that's good for stocks. And that's why this doesn't concern me that much. You know, the, I think the rise in commodity prices can be easily absorbed because there's been a lot of, you know, uh, non-participation, if you will, and believes that much of the rise, this is Mr. Shearer again, uh, believes that much of the rise is just a temporary condition reflecting the reopening Prices will revert back to normal levels in a short time. Isn't, won't that be wonderful? Okay, so I'm going to kind of talk about this, talk about bubbles. It seems like that's a default thing that the financial media uses for any time something goes up in price. Now, what I'd like to offer is that once and for all, or at least until further notice, the only way that anyone might think we're in a stock market bubble that is a stock market bubble is if that person has no memory of a real bubble. Like I was saying earlier, folks have not been used to this kind of stuff for a long time. So you find a bubble when stock market mania effectively gets hold of the popular imagination of the whole country. Stocks then become all that anybody talks about. I remember in the uh, 80s, dentists giving, dentists giving up their practices to become day traders, blue-collar workers. They took out home equity loans. They had those commercials that made it look like, you know, all you, all you had to do was buy, buy a stock and you too would be a millionaire. Um, you know, checking account balances, cratered bond funds, ETFs go into massive net liquidation, Equity funds, ETFs go to unprecedented levels. In other words, everybody's all about the entire stock market. I remember getting a tip from a cab driver once and I did, in the 80s, and I thought that, well, perhaps we were getting a little toppy at that time. Anyhow, you know, this, this, this bubble stuff has happened three times in the last hundred years. Not exactly a rapid, uh, doesn't happen all the time. 1929, 1968. In 2000, and oh yes, let us not forget the real estate uh, party in the mid-2000s. But during a long market advance, any number or uh, uh, of more or less isolated fads that are uh, around, uh, you know, they can happen again. These uh, electric vehicles, Robin Hood, Bitcoin, 
Uh, however, the differences definitely outweigh the similarities. What's noticeable among these critical differences today? Well, seems to me, in no particular order, we got zero interest rates, which makes bonds ridiculous and savings accounts even more so, a banking system with huge excess reserves that they're earning money on, and the consumer's balance sheets, which remain more rock solid than they've been in 40 years, if not ever. Genuine bubbles inflate with borrowed money. Okay, My personal belief is that we're in the second decade of a secular bull market that began in March of 2009. Now, secular bull markets are bull markets that last multiple years. And within a secular bull market, you can have cyclical markets and you can have drops. You can have corrections, all that stuff. But it doesn't take away the fact that net net, the overall market is continuing higher. Now, the underpinnings that, uh, uh, well, uh, outside of getting money from the feds, innovation, uh, the growth of the global middle class, not just here and a generational public fear and loathing of stocks that continues in spite of the record since then, after 2008 and 2009. We've already had three interim bear markets in 2011, 2018, 2020. There'll be others, not to mention the garden variety corrections. And in terms of corrections since 1980, we've had an average annual drawdown of 14%. That just happens every year, just moving along the road. But the continuing bull market, which has produced an average annual compound return of almost 17% since March of 2009, it can't end until the public's enthusiasm for stocks approaches and then even exceeds the levels that have been seen since 2000. So in the meantime, for all of us long-term, goal-focused investors, the best time to buy stocks continues to be very simple. When you have the money. That's not a joke. That's straight up. And the best time to sell will be when, well, if indeed, if, you need the money. Everything else is just noise. So would you care to know what I think the root cause of this mini manias have been? Real simple. It's the lockdown. It's the pandemic. People are all alone. They got too much time on their hands. They got too much money they can't spend. <laughs> that certainly underscores the Robin Hood thing, in my opinion. They only act with other human beings virtually and on social media, and it's driven everybody completely nuts. That's an unscientific conclusion. But feel free to quote me on this one. This isn't a bubble. It's the lockdowns making everybody nuts. You'll find that most uptrends, uptrends are not bubbles. They're just uptrends. So a few uh, closing commentaries here. Sophocles, he's a guy from a long time ago you may have heard of. He says, what people believe prevails over the truth. Perceptions are reality, in other words. And that's what the media does by throwing out all these, how would I say, marginally appropriate marginally accurate headlines now uh as i said the median annual return of the s p over the last 45 years i'd say that's a long term what do you think 1976 to the end of last year has been an a, a gain of 15.8 percent that's total return in other words it includes dividends the stock market has produced a positive total return in 37 of the last 45 years, 82% of the time. You know, baseball players get paid all the money in the world for being ranked three times out of 10. 
<laughs> you be eight. You can be right eight times out of ten just by sitting in on your couch and eating bonbons and watching TV. Now, Oxford Risk, which is a London-based risk management software firm, they figured out just how costly it can be to heed the advice of your inner caps lock voice. <laughs> they calculated if you increase your allocation to cash and equivalents, you have the potential to underperform your less panicky peers by an average of 4 to 5% per year. Now, that range is what's known as the behavior gap. The difference between the returns you earn when you make rational investment decisions versus moves driven by emotion during times of stock market turmoil. And it's really hard to, to fight that. And no kidding, that's one reason, one real good reason why you need an advisor to help you to keep you from making, uh, how might I say, inappropriate responses to what's going on in the world. So many of our clients are actively concerned about the new administration's very progressive policies, particularly in terms of increased income and capital gains taxes and drastically increased estate taxation. Those folks feel these bitterly anti-capital redistributionist initiatives must importantly slow economic growth and therefore reduce stock market returns. Well, here's the deal. We all have very strongly held opinions about political things, I'm sure. But when you let your politics muddy your investment policy, you might as well put both feet up on the, on the end of your couch and pull the trigger because disaster will follow. Here's, here's the math. The Senate is evenly delighted, divided, excuse me, with the Dems having a margin in the House of just nine seats. 27 of the 50 states have Republican governors. In 22 of those, the GOP holds the governor and the state legislature. Now, I might be missing something, but the math here shows me that this doesn't strike me as a mandate for a radical makeover of the economy. Uh, and more to the point, a third of the Senate and the entire House has to face the electorate again in just 20 more months. If, and to the extent that the new administration tries to push these extreme initiatives, the more likely it becomes that a roughly evenly divided country will push back come November of 2022. So, acknowledge and learn from them. Take the lessons you learn and put them to use the next time and the times that will follow. If your big lesson was that stocks are forward-looking and that they can recover even as bad data roll in and unemployment claims, take that one with you. If your big lesson was that widely discussed fears don't hurt markets as hard as everyone warns they will, then take that with you. Okay. The number of reasons, there are a number of reasons, I believe, <clears throat> excuse me, to that the economy, U.S. economy is doing better than a lot of people think. Uh you know, tied to this belief, the battle against the virus is going very well. There's even talk we can get back to normal by the summer. Uh, the problem is, as the media is very well aware, bad news sells, and bad news sells especially well on Wall Street. To be an optimist, it said, is to be naive. And I've been called that, among other things, because I am an optimist about the markets, because I look at the facts, not the headlines. Okay? So... Let's start with some basics. Bond rates have gradually worked their way higher over the past few months. That usually means that more growth is on the way, economic growth is on the way. And 
real yields, which means net after inflation, you say, you know, what you're earning on a bond and you factor in the inflation rate, that's the real return you're getting, are still very low and in many cases negative, in fact. So that suggests that rates have a lot of room to move higher. As we talked earlier, many commodities have been rallying, which is another sign of a growing economy. Uh, and tied to higher oil is the unsurprising fact that cyclical stocks have been doing very well, especially in the energy and financial area. So that will conclude our show for this time. I appreciate the opportunity to do this. Please uh, come back next week at 9 Pacific and we'll do it all over again. Hope you have a great weekend, of course. Go Zags. This is Mike Mayo. I'm with the Spokane Office of the Opus One Lever Group, and you've been listening to Money Management. Opinions, forecasts, and case studies are for illustrative purposes only and may only be relevant at the time of recording. Certain sectors in the market, such as international and emerging markets, certain fixed income, including high-yield bonds, precious metals, mid- and small company securities, have greater risks that are generally outlined in their prospectus, contract, or offering document. Any guarantees or protections offered through insurance products are subject to the claim paying ability of the issuing insurance company. Diversification, asset allocation are no guarantees or protections against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, and there is always risk associated with investment.